Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. So today we're going to talk about uh, evangelical Christians. We're going to talk about whatever crossroads they feel they may be at in terms of their support of President Trump. First of all, uh, let me just blather for about 90 seconds. You'd love that, right, if I blathered? So uh, evangelical is a term that's very elastic and also very muddy. It's a term that um, gets defined a lot of different ways. And there are uh, people who think of themselves as evangelicals who don't think of other people who think of themselves as evangelicals as evangelicals, if you follow that. Um, I think uh, you could say, first of all, that the demographic term uh, uh, definition of evangelicals or demographic understanding of evangelicals is probably a little bit different from the theological understanding. Uh, let me do the theological understanding as best I can. Once again, there's lots of ways to, you know, to, I was going to say to skin this cat, but that doesn't sound very nice. There's a lot of ways to understand this. But I think if you look for a consistent thread, there'd be kind of two. Uh, one of them would be uh, a, a very heavy reliance on the Bible as a sole source of authority. There's even a term sola scriptorum, and this is where you go to get your answers. Um, and then there's the notion of um, a personal decision. Uh, to accept Christ as Savior. It doesn't come from somebody else. It comes from you. It's, in fact, uh, something that you decide to do. Um, both of those things are there as fairly consistent elements in everything that we think of as the evangelical movement. But after that, I mean, there is quite a bit of diversity there. But um, over the years, evangelical Christians, and, you know, we have to say also the movement goes back to certainly uh, the late 18th century maybe even the late 17th century, the uh, revivals of George Whitfield and people like that. It's been around for a long time. Uh, but uh, in modernity, um, evangelical Christianity and conservative politics have uh, formed an alliance, have become heavily associated with one another. Not a perfect Venn diagram overlap, but heavily associated with one another. And during the last election, uh, although evangelicals had other uh, Republican candidates that they liked a lot, people like Ted Cruz and Rick Santorum, they ultimately lined up behind Donald Trump. And, and therein lies, obviously, a conundrum, because there are many ways in which <laughs> the behavior of Donald Trump does not comport with evangelical Christianity. And Proverbs 16.32 says basically that he that ruleth his spirit uh, is superior to he that taketh a city. Um, and Donald Trump does not rule his spirit very well. Um, he does not control himself very well in lots of ways. So uh, what are they going to do about that? Uh, that's one of the things we'll be talking about today. Joining us right now is Sarah McCannon. Uh, Sarah McCammon is a, a reporter for uh, NPR. You know her voice very well. Sarah McCammon uh, covers the Mid-Atlantic and Southeast, and she was also NPR's lead political reporter assigned to the Donald Trump campaign during uh, the 2016 election. She also has a, a life background uh, in this church to a certain degree, and, and therefore uh, some extra perspective on all, all this. So, Sarah McCammon, first of all, welcome to our conversation. Yeah, thanks for having me. 
So maybe you can just quickly trace um, kind of how this is gone. I mean, during the campaign, there were certainly moments, uh, whether it's the Access Hollywood tape or some of the other things, or just what even was latently known uh, about the thrice-married uh, Donald Trump, and uh, that might have given the evangelical movement pause. So at least formally and openly, how did they deal with those kinds of conflicts? Yeah, I would go back, um, actually, many months before the Access Hollywood video, which, as you know, was released in October of 2016, uh, just weeks before the election. Um, if you think back to the Republican primary, when there were something like 17 um, major candidates, by uh, depending on how you, how you, uh, what your criteria is for a, a major candidate, there were like 17 in the Republican primary. And um, a lot of them, on the face of it, would have seemed like a much more likely match for evangelicals. And a lot of um, evangelicals, pu- publicly and privately, as you noted, were backing people like um, Senator Ted Cruz of Texas or uh, Dr. Ben Carson or um, even uh, you know, Florida Senator Marco Rubio was the popular choice for a lot of evangelicals. Uh, Donald Trump wasn't high on a lot of people's list, you would have thought, for the reasons you just outlined. And yet... Um, he was consistently uh, near or at the top of the polls throughout the Republican primary, of course, wound up becoming the nominee. And um, I think one of the big questions even back that far was, well, how, how does this work? Well, you know, how can Donald Trump be, you know, doing so well and when, when evangelicals are such an important constituency in the Republican base? Um, and, 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 you know, there are a lot of reasons for that, and I would point out that there was a huge pool of candidates. And, and if you were, you know, an evangelical voter who's mostly motivated by things like abortion, religious freedom, maybe still um, same-sex marriage, uh, there were a lot of other options besides Donald Trump. And uh, to my, you know, as I watched that primary, it seemed like it was hard for any one sort of lane within the GOP to coalesce, and, and Donald Trump just kind of rocketed to the top. So what evangelicals were left with was, essentially a choice between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. And for many, many evangelicals, 81%, according to exit polling, um, it wasn't that hard of a decision. Donald Trump seemed like a, a better bet, um, despite his, despite whatever misgivings many of them did and do have. Right. And, and so now there are new things. I mean, Stormy Daniels is probably the newest of new things, but evangelicals tend to, you know, skew pretty patriotic. So the notion of Russian interference with the election is also probably not going to sit all that well with them. Uh, some of the other investigations into uh, economic corruption might be a problem. So they need to keep having conversations with President Trump, make sure he's still the guy that they, they hope that he was or a guy that they can live with anyway. So so how have these conversations gone so far? Well, I know that, uh, first of all, evangelical leaders, um, and as you say, there are, evangelical means a lot of things. There are a lot of different kinds of people who who identify as evangelical uh, in different ways. And, and um, you know, there is a, the theological and the political definition. But accepting all of those caveats, um, you know, President Trump meets frequently with small and large groups of evangelicals. Um, he, you know, speaks at, at evangelical events. He has uh, evangelical leaders in his office on a regular basis. Um, sometimes those meetings are publicized, some of them are not. Uh, but many of the evangelicals I talk to uh, have said that they feel that they have, you know, much better access to this president than they've ever had with, um, you know, even other Republican presidents. And so, and by and large, you know, many of them are very happy with the 
policy um, with his policies and on on issues like abortion and religious freedom, uh, and so that's true on the one hand. Uh, on the other hand, I think um, there are still many concerns about his sort of temperament, his personality, his penchant for sort of talking off the cuff and divisive rhetoric, um, and of course his personal life. But one thing I hear over and over from evangelicals I talk to is, look, we knew we knew this about him going into the election, you know, the Access Hollywood video. Uh, we, we knew who Donald Trump was. None of this is any surprise. The Stormy Daniels um, scandal, you know, that he has denied having an affair with her. And so they're really focused on policy. And uh, I know that there are, um, you saw some of my reporting, uh, there, there are evangelicals who would like to meet with President Trump this summer, really primarily in an effort to rally the base, because I think there are concerns um, Heading into the midterms, uh, on a lot of different levels, uh, the president has had you know low favorability ratings, although those seem to be creeping back up. Uh, there's a lot of Democratic energy, so there's concern um, among conservatives and Republicans about what that means for their voters this fall. And so the idea would be to to meet with the president, uh, talk about policy goals, and talk about turning out the base, and especially the evangelical base, uh, which is going to be an important one for Republicans this fall. Right. So you've reported on a potential meeting uh, scheduled for June 19th at where else? The Trump International Hotel in Washington, D.C. You know, the phrase uh, come to Jesus meeting is kind of thrown around a lot these days as in a very sort of analogy driven way. This would probably literally be a come to Jesus meeting if they have it. And this is this would be the conversation you're talking about. Right. Right. Well, and and this is, um, and I should say, this is something that's being talked about. That's uh, that I know I, I've heard from multiple sources that um, the president's been invited, and the, the White House has expressed interest. Uh, it hasn't been confirmed yet, uh, but I think there is um, wide agreement among a lot of evangelical leaders that especially given the stakes this fall with the midterms, that getting a bunch of evangelical, influential evangelicals in the same room, um, getting them together with the president to talk about strategy, to talk about uh, the future, um, would be a good idea. And yes, this is these conversations are happening at a time when, you know, when Stormy Daniels is on a lot of people's minds, um, and when there's, you know, just a lot going on uh, in Washington, policy-wise, and, and um, Again, when there's concern about what 2018 will mean uh, in terms of voter turnout and for some of these policy accomplishments that a lot of, uh, and I should say we're talking about white evangelicals primarily. I don't think we've said that yet, but, right. you know, conservative, primarily white evangelicals who supported Trump uh, do feel that he's delivered on a lot of their agenda, and they don't want to lose that. They don't want to see that eroded in 2018. Um, white evangelicals <clears throat> and Trump voters have very similar kinds of demographics. And, and you, as a, you know, I don't know how old you are. I think you just told me during the, uh, before the show when I was noisily singing. I'm, I am singing. 37. Okay. I'm literally as old as you can be and be considered a millennial. Right. And so your, your generation, uh, I mean, they're losing your generation. The demographic trend lines are, I, th- I think in 87, I'm doing this off the top of my head, I think 46% uh, of uh, evangelicals were over 50 years old. Uh, in 2016, according to Pew, 62% of evangelicals were over 50 years old. So they're losing the younger part of the demographic. And, and, and 
I, I would imagine not that evangelical leaders make decisions on demographics. I mean, presumably they make decisions uh, on faith, uh, on Scripture, uh, on what they believe is right. But it's got to be a concern, you know, just in the way that the Trump voting base also skews kind of old. Everything about this kind of points in a direction uh, of, of less and less relevance. And I guess maybe let me just segue from that and just say, I mean, they just saw an election where— uh, there were some problems reconciling notions of morality with evangelical Christianity, and that was Roy Moore. That was in Alabama. Was that any kind of particular political lesson to evangelical Christians based on your reporting? You know, I'm not sure specifically about that one, um, but I think to your larger point, because I haven't done a lot of reporting myself on Alabama, I can yeah. only tell you what I've read from other people, but um, to your larger point about, about the demographic shift, I mean, I think one big concern for for uh, you know for white evangelicals is that right now you know they have a lot of power uh, they have a lot of access to the white house um they it, it arguably put trump in office or he couldn't have gotten there without them um but you're right the the white evangelicalism um is not where the growth is in the church uh you know um there's been a lot of really good polling on this by the public religion uh research institute uh, they've looked at this pretty closely, and really the growth in evangelicalism is is in the Latino church, and the, the African-American church is holding steady, but, but, you know, those groups have very different political priorities than white evangelicals do, and uh, there's a huge shift away from the church among young white evangelicals. I mean, those under 30, I believe it's in the single digits. I'd have to double-check that, but I, um, I was just talking to a pollster about this this week, and, and the numbers are, are staggering, you know, are slipping in staggering ways. So, if you're looking, if you're talking about evangelicalism as a theology, uh, there is still a lot of energy there and a lot of strength, um, especially in uh, you know among churches of color, you know primarily people of color. But uh, white evangelicalism over time is unlikely to remain the powerhouse that it that it has been. And and so yes, if if uh, if your policy goals align with those of white evangelical leaders, um, I would I would say there would be ca- cause for concern going forward. And, and presumably, I mean, I'm just doing the, this is the level of guesswork now. If you want to speak to young people who've grown up in evangelical churches, they may have a shifting set of attitudes about things like gay marriage, climate change, economic justice. Um, some of these things may be uh, uppermost in their mind in a way that they weren't in, I mean, the sort of the baby boom bulge, which is uh, a, a huge part of the existing evangelical uh, demographic uh, would probably have seen those issues in different terms. For sure, and there is there is polling that backs this up. Uh, Pew did some, I really I believe, released some data last year um, that showed that, especially on issues like same sex marriage, younger evangelicals were far more supportive of same sex marriage um, than than baby boomer evangelicals, and even on the issue of abortion, which had been one that that um, you know some Pew polling had suggested was holding pretty steady from the older to younger generation. Uh, again, PRRI just released some data um, looking, you know, not just at evangelicals, but but broadly younger people uh, were more likely, in a poll just released this week, more likely to shift their position on abortion um, than older people. And when they did shift their position, were more likely to shift in favor of supporting abortion rights. Um, and, and again, the pollster I talked to on this one said, you know, that may be at least in large, in some part, perhaps in large part, due to the declining religiosity of the younger generation, uh, because particularly 
with the issue of abortion, there's a huge overlap um, between evangelicals and opposition to abortion rights. You have the younger generation becoming less and less religious, less and less evangelical, and you're also seeing a shift in um, you know, their views on that issue. And just anecdotally, younger evangelicals um, that I know – you know, often are very concerned about things like social justice, about refugees, about, um, you know, what's happening outside of the U.S. borders um, in, in a way, you know, in a, in a way that seems different than the older generation. So, yeah, I think you're seeing you're seeing a priority shift there as well as a demographic shift. Well, Sarah McCammon, uh, Sarah McCammon, it's been a great uh, pl- privilege to have you on the show. And I'm a big fan, uh, NPR reporter covering the Mid-Atlantic and Southeast, also NPR's lead political reporter assigned to the Trump campaign during 2016. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks so much. All right. That was Sarah McCammon. I'm going to take a break. We're going to take a break. Not a long break. We will be back. All right, so we're back. We're talking about the evangelical movement and specifically uh, its relationship with Donald Trump. Now, this is sort of a puzzlement to a lot of people, people outside the evangelical movement who look at this and knowing whatever it is that they know or think that they know, they say, how can this be? How can evangelicals, believing what they believe, choose to support Donald Trump? Well, Conveniently, we have with us uh, Stephen Mansfield, speaker and New York Times bestselling author of several books, including, are you ready? Choosing Donald Trump, God, Anger, Hope, and Why Christian Conservatives Supported Him. So we're going to get an answer. Um, So Stephen Mansfield, welcome to our conversation. Thanks for being here. It's great to be here. I titled that book just for you. Yeah, I know. It's made to order for this conversation. Well, okay, it's it's a very broad question, which has, I think, a more detailed and nuanced answer. But I think it's one that obviously you felt compelled to look for an answer for. Uh, You know, as as Sarah McCammon was just saying, during 2015 and 2016, evangelicals essentially knew who they were getting. They didn't know the name Stormy Daniels, but they knew that he was been married three times and that his sex life had been, you know, Know, on the cover of New York tabloids, uh, you know they 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 knew that this guy maybe wasn't clean as a whistle. Um, so how did or why did they look past that? Well, they looked past it, and Sarah's exactly right. They looked past it largely because uh, the, if you go back to the 2016 presidential election, the, the frank the frank truth is evangelicals felt bombarded by eight years of the Obama administration and terrified of another eight years of Hillary Clinton. Uh, If you're an evangelical, uh, you were offended by the Obama administration's uh, strong pro-abortion stand. You were offended by their advocacy for LGBT issues. You were disturbed deeply, uh, if not traumatized, by the uh, Obama Justice Department um, filing lawsuits, uh, pressuring organizations like Hobby Lobby regarding their employee insurance, you know, to include abortifacients and what have you. Uh, all of this came down heavily. And then, of course, with, with what was perceived as a soft stance on Islam, uh, all of this, all of these are the issues that, uh, that evangelicals cited. And then, of course, when they looked at Hillary Clinton, they thought that worse was coming. Uh, they weren't deceived about who Donald Trump was. I mean, this is a man who had once defended adultery in the headlines of New York newspapers. I mean, they weren't, they weren't fooled. Um, but they are committed to their core values. Uh, the, some, of the, some of the things I've just listed are those core values. And they weren't going to be shaken from it just because, um, you know, Donald Trump is a rough customer. Um, one thing that you've pointed out, I think it's a 
point worth making and a point with which I have lived through uh, and live with is that evangelicals are not a monolithic block um, that I mean, I attend. Well, I haven't been in a while, but it's it's time to go back. Uh, I attend a, a self-described evangelical church in which two of the three pastors are gay or lesbian. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's politics, its attitudes are very different from the typical picture uh, of evangelicals. It's a pretty rara avis, but it's at least fair to say that the evangelical movement isn't just one thing. It's a bunch of things. Uh, that's exactly correct. I, I can I can attest to that myself. Uh, I split my year with my wife uh, between Nashville and uh, D.C. In D.C., we attend a, about a 4,000-member, uh, largely African-American congregation. And in Nashville, we, we attend kind of a young, happening uh, Anglican church. Uh, both are, would be considered evangelical, uh, and the diversity is unbelievable. You can walk through the parking lot of the African-American church in D.C. and uh, you know, see half the stickers are for Hillary and half the stickers are for Trump, and, uh, and yet those people are going to be inside you know, in a typical rockin' African-American church. And so you're, you're right, far more diverse. In fact, one of the issues that's, that's going on right now um, is you know, we, we accurately report that 81% of white evangelicals voted for Donald Trump, but evangelicals of color, of course, went a completely different direction and are offended by their white evangelical uh, fellows uh, who, uh, who didn't seem to care that, that race was, a, uh, was an offending issue. And so these are some of the fault lines within evangelicalism themselves. Right. So if we look back at those white evangelicals, I mean, another part of this is if you look at the demographic of a Trump voter, it's often kind of similar to the one of the prevalent, maybe the prevalent set of demographics for modern evangelicals over 55 holding a high school diploma or less, a third generation or more American citizen, uh, making $50,000 a year or less. Uh, I'm describing two things, uh, one of the big bulges of Trump voters and the way the evangelical, the white evangelical movement is skewing right now. In a way, it's not terribly surprising they would line up together. No, it's not. It's absolutely not. And I think this, this explains both the surprises and the things that weren't that surprising about the 2016 election. Uh, the, but but I, I heard your interview with Sarah, and I couldn't agree more that overall the, the important demographic, the important trends, are against conventional conservative uh, mainline evangelicalism. There is going to be a racial upheaval. There is going to be um, a, a dramatic theological shift. I mean, I'm not even sure the word evangelical can be used anymore in the sense that it refers to anything singular and monolithic. Uh, so, but we're, we're definitely undergoing a change, and I think this recent election is going to accelerate all of that. Right. And in, in fact, evangelical participation in America, it, it's undulated over the decades and centuries. It hasn't been a straight line going up or down. But uh, starting at, like in the 1970s, I was writing a lot about religion. There was this guy, Dean Kelly, who had this famous book out. It was called Why Conservative churches are growing or something like that. But that was that was the trend line right then. Um, it's a little bit different right now. And one thing that I wonder about, Stephen, is the, the, the rhetoric that Donald Trump used about elites um, may have resonated very well with evangelicals who, who, who do feel scorned by elites. I mean, not every evangelical, as we keep saying, they're not all the same. But those evangelicals that I've described, you know, who live in the middle of the country, not on one of the coasts, uh, and and have uh, subscribed to a certain set of values, they probably do feel scorned by the elites that Trump was at least explicitly rejecting. 
Well, it, it's a real oddity, I have to tell you, because, yes, there's no question that the, the, the lambasting of elites resonates with evangelicals. At the same time, evangelicals, they may not be in the top 1%. They're certainly in the top 10% for the most part. Uh, most evangelical churches are suburban. Uh, evangelicals tend to be well-off. I mean, there aren't, there, there aren't comprehensive surveys on this, but uh, maybe it's anecdotal. But uh, they, they, they tend to be well-off. That they are, they are not among the downtrodden. They are certainly not among the, uh, the, the, the least uh, prosperous 10 to 20 percent for the most part. And so it's interesting how Trump's lambasting, by the way, of a socioeconomic class he was part of, um, resonated so well with them, but it certainly did. And I think, again, this goes uh, not so much to a socioeconomic commentary, uh, but more to a religious commentary. Evangelicals do feel beleaguered in America when it comes to their faith. They do feel under attack, uh, even though economically they, they, they are not at all. Uh, right. I think it has more to do, anyway. yeah, it has to do with more of mainstream social and political culture. It's the same language that Jerry Falwell used when he founded the Moral Majority. Yeah. Uh, you know, he basically said there's an entire country that consists of us and there's a culture that essentially is not of us. You know, what's, what's wrong with this picture? Um, and millionaires would feel persecuted at that moment. Uh, and right, you know, because again, uh, not because of, of an economic issue, but because of how they felt their faith was being treated in the broader culture. I guess one question that uh, I mean, maybe we should save it for the, the third segment, but but I'll ask it now. You know, I mean, some of Sarah's reporting has indicated that evangelicals are getting a little jumpy about the 2018 midterms uh, and, and the 2020 uh, election. And there there uh, there may be a, some of them who are wondering how long they should stick around with Trump. I don't know. Does that fit your understanding? Uh, you know, it, it does. There, there's a certain amount of buyer's remorse, maybe 5 to 10 percent. Uh, but the bottom line is evangelicals are not going to abandon those core values that I mentioned at the top of our time together. Uh, they are going to be concert, can, committed to a, more, uh, uh, you know, a, a pro-life position. They're going to be uh, insisting upon religious liberty. They're going to be suspicious of a, a LGBT agenda. Um, and so they will vote again for a Donald Trump or a Trump clone at the more local level um, if, if their issues are embattled. They will vote for the person who holds those issues, even if that person is as raw as Donald Trump. So I don't see as much movement. I think what's going to be a bigger factor um, is the mobilization of the left. Uh, I think Democrats are mobilized. I think undecideds or, or you know, independents are moving more leftward. Um, and I think we've seen that trend already in some of the elections that are uh, sort of bellwether elections around the country. All right. So we're going to take a quick break. We're talking to Stephen Mansfield. His book is Choosing Donald Trump, God, Anger, Hope, and Why Christian Conservatives Supported Him. We're going to take a quick break. Here's a little song that we wrote yesterday. Well, Jim's Chapdelaine wrote it, and Kate uh, Callahan and I tried to sing it with him. <laughs> it's a song about why you should donate to, to WNPR and to public radio. People are going to ask you to do that right now, and we uh, urge you. Do I have to keep talking for a while? No, you got okay. So I wasn't sure how long the song was. Here it goes. Two, three, four. Coming up to number, you should call it. First, go find your credit card or wallet. Make sure you pull over if you're driving in a car. It's a perfect time to donate to WNPR. President Trump had to fire both Scaramucci and Bannon after Scaramucci described that thing Bannon did to pleasure himself. Not only is that forbidden in the Old Testament, it's not even a legal yoga pose. 
Today's show was produced by Pastor Josh Nalea and me, Kion Wolf, with help from our intern, Garnet McLaughlin. Amanda Fish is currently engaged to Meatloaf. Together they want to have lots of little loaves and fishes. Boom. The part of Bill Curry was played by Morty Vincent Peale. On tomorrow's show, what do we mean by the phrases too old or too young? And now, back to Colin. And we've been talking on this show, and we'll continue to talk about the relationship. Um, well, first of all, about evangelical Christians in America, um, how they feel about the political system in general, and then how that political system and those feelings uh, led them up to the doorstep of uh, now President Donald Trump. Uh, with us uh, for the whole, for this conversation, uh, ever since last, uh, I'm scrolling down to the ID, to the IDs here. Hold on for a second. Uh, ever since the, the last segment of Stephen Mansfield, his book uh, is. Uh, Using Donald Trump, God, anger, hope, and why Christian conservatives supported him. Now joining us also is Bob Vanderplatz, evangelical leader, speaker, and political activist. He is currently the president and CEO of the Family Leader, a social conservative organization, and he is the author of If 714, an urgent call for revival, it's time. Um, first of all, uh, Bob Van- Vanderplatz, welcome to our conversation. Well, thrilled to be with you guys. Um, let's just start with your relationship with Donald Trump, the candidate. It was actually kind of a rocky one for a while, right? You were a Ted Cruz <laughs> supporter, and things didn't always yeah. go all that well. Well, Donald Trump and I have been friend, friends for about six, seven years, and things went splendidly <laughs> until I endorsed Ted Cruz. And, <laughs> and even then, things went really well for a while until Ted Cruz started to inch up in the polls in Iowa. And that's when he and I had a very high-profile Twitter spat, Twitter war. It's one that I like to remind him that I won. <laughs> and the Washington Post, the Des Moines Register, uh, the New York Times all had my back at the same time. But um, even after uh, Mr. Trump uh, received the nomination, he was very gracious. Uh, he had me in his office. We met one-on-one for 45 minutes and had a great visit. And so what I told him then... And what I tell him today is I am a friend to him. And what that means is when he does things that are right, I'm going to cheer him on. And when he goes outside the bounds, which uh, I heard a little play about Scaramucci, I'm going to hold him to account. Uh, So when Scaramucci happened, uh, I went exceptionally high profile, very public about you had to fire Scaramucci. You've got to get rid of this out of your administration. I think that's what a friend is. A, a real friend is you cheer and you hold to account. Um, I want to talk to both you and Stephen Mansfield a little bit about um, one of the things that I think does did differentiate the Trump campaign uh, from, say, the Cruz campaign uh, and something that may have spoken very powerfully to evangelicals. And that is, uh, I'm, I'm going to call it just for operational purposes, a kind of burn, tear it all down, burn it all down message. You know, I mean, that was very much wh- where Steve Bannon was as he was behind Donald Trump. I, I mean, I think of of songs that get sung in the church that I attend. There's one that says, go set your church on fire, win this nation back, change the atmosphere, build your kingdom here. Um, Bob, I'm going to I'm going to start with you. That that is there is something of a message that we often hear within evangelical Christianity that the the system, the world that we're living in, is is morally compromised and crippled to the point that radical change is needed. I'm wondering if that's one reason that ultimately evangelicals were able to get behind Donald Trump. Well, I think the main reason evangelicals got behind Donald Trump was Hillary Clinton. I think that's what galvanized them around around Trump. 
But I do agree with your premise is that we as evangelicals, not only we as evangelicals, we as American citizens, uh, we're very tired with politics as usual. And we knew that uh, a drastic change had to occur. And that's quite frankly why a guy like Mike Huckabee didn't get more traction. Uh, because Mike Huckabee's a really good, nice gentleman. They did view Cruz, though, as somebody that could disrupt and cause disruption in D.C. And they saw Trump, who could take that to an exponential factor. So I think evangelicals, Americans as a whole, were like, we do not want status quo. We don't want politics as usual. We've been down that road way too many times before. Even if we're taking a chance, we're willing to take a chance because we know something needs to change. So I'm going to have both of you react to this. I'll have Stephen Mansfield react when we come back from it. Uh, here uh, is uh, a little montage uh, of Donald Trump trying to, talk, trying to talk about his own relationship to Christianity. The Art of the Deal, great book. The Bible, even better. Why is that for you? What well, is there's it? so many things. Like, you know, uh, you take uh, whatever you want to say. There's so many things that you can learn from it. And they're just, it's... Actually, it's an incredible book. Two Corinthians, right? Two Corinthians, 317. That's the whole ball game. Do you actively go to church, or is that something that it's more just when, when you can? Right. Well, I go as much as I can always on Christmas, always on Easter, mm-hmm. uh, and during the, during the Sundays. Have you ever asked God for forgiveness? That's a tough question. I, I don't think in terms of, I have, I'm, I'm a religious person, and I go to church, and I love God, and I love my church. But have you ever asked God for forgiveness? <laughs> I'm not sure I have. I just go and try and do a better job from there. I don't think so. All right. So, um, well, Stephen Mansfield, I'll, I'll let you begin. Um, what do you hear? Uh, I, I know what a lot of Ted Cruz supporters heard in some of those lines, but Stephen Mansfield, what do you hear? Well, that's one of the worst presentations of religion by an American presidential candidate in all of our history. I, I mean, whether you're pro-Donald Trump or not, no one believes he's articulate when it comes to religion. Uh, and so it's, it's absolutely stunning. Again, you, know, you almost want to give credit to the evangelicals for being able to look beyond uh, this complete bumbling of almost any religious theme in the, in the, in the campaign. And uh, uh, I, I don't think there's any way we can back away from it. It's, it's just the worst we've seen. Uh, even, even the times that George W. Bush bobbled the ball when it came to religious questions is not near as bad as what Donald Trump did. Well, Bob, when you were over in the cruise camp, uh, obviously 2 Corinthians is the beginning of a joke, right? 2 Corinthians walk into a bar. 2 <laughs> uh, Corinthians would be how an evangelical Christian would begin to describe uh, that citation. Uh, there was a certain amount of mirth over on the cruise side, right? Oh, sure there was. The last clip that you played about asking God for forgiveness, that's actually Frank Luntz mm-hmm. uh, asking uh, then-candidate Trump on the stage that I provided Mr. Trump at our Family Leadership Summit. And when he basically dropped the ball on that question and said, you know, I don't think I have, I honestly thought, you know, this is game over. I mean, his campaign is done, especially with who he needs to win over in a Republican primary. And so when people say Mr. Trump is on a faith journey or President Trump is on a faith journey, I totally agree with that. And what I'd say, it is the very beginning of a faith journey. As a matter of fact, the last time I met with Mr. Trump one-on-one after he secured the nomination, we walked through things. And he took, I know to his credit, he took notes on it mm-hmm. of Exodus 18:21 about 
why we need a Lincoln today versus a Reagan who would lead our country to repentance. Um, what does it mean to not only have Jesus as Savior of your life, but what does it mean to make Jesus the Lord of your life? So, yes, he is on a faith journey. That's why I believe he needs exceptionally wise counsel around him who's willing to speak truth to him, even when that truth is unpleasant or unwanted uh, by the president's ears. So, Bob, uh, you know, one of the things that he had trouble answering was uh, what was his favorite Bible verse? Uh, I'm assuming based on the conversations you're having with him now, he could come up with something now? Yeah, I'm not sure he would. Mm -hmm. And because I, I personally, and I don't mean this as uh, any kind of uh, a diss on President Trump, um, I, I don't think he probably has a favorite Bible verse yet. And I think the one thing that came across out of that is that at least he was authentic in that versus I'm trying to play like, okay, I really, I really like Matthew 6.33, and here's what it says. And here He was just kind of being, that's, kind of who he is. So I think what it is, again, have wise faith counsel around him that can walk him through the Scriptures and let him glean the understanding and the benefit and the blessing of the Scriptures. I was kind of hoping he'd go for Matthew 6.21 instead. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Um, for those who are listening, that's where your treasure is. There also shall your heart be. Um, so, yeah, one thing that I want to ask both of you, Stephen, I'll start with you. Um, I, I think for reasons that you've articulated very forcefully, um, th- th- there were uh, ways in which it would be impossible for um, for evangelicals, even in a state of dissatisfaction with Donald Trump, to turn to Hillary Clinton. And a lot of these had to do with things that they'd perceived in the Obama administration and, and particularly attitudes towards uh, reproductive uh, rights, uh, things like that. I'm wondering what, and this is, I'm asking you to do some wild guesswork right now. I don't think there's any polling on this. Um, what they would have thought about Bernie Sanders, uh, whether they would have perceived Bernie Sanders differently. You know, I mean, there's so much that's in the Gospels that is about economic justice of the kind. I mean, Acts, the beginnings, uh, beginning of Acts, uh, it, it almost it sounds like a Bernie Sanders campaign speech talking about, you know, all who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Um, do you think uh, there were evangelicals who could resonate to the words of a kind of socialist Jewish atheist? Uh, very few, very yeah. few. Uh, the, the, this is actually one of my concerns when it comes to um, evangelicals. Um, I, I share many evangelical core values, no question. I am an evangelical. I, 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 don't, I don't hesitate to say that. At the same time, evangelicals have not really embraced the social justice side of, of the biblical worldview of, of, of Scripture. Um, and so they're, they're pretty much their frontline issues are the ones we've identified, reproductive rights, LGBT, uh, religious liberty in general, certainly as that plays to a Justice Department. Um, th- these, are the, these are the core issues, strong defense, perhaps a strong stand against Islam. Um, this is where most evangelicals are. Now, they're, they're, they're missing, of course, and I think many evangelicals would share this at least in theory, um, they're missing the, the social teachings of the, of the prophets of the Old Testament. They're, they're, they're missing um, many of the, of the teachings of Jesus when it comes to, to social justice. But their bedrock issues issues are the ones that have defined you know, politically active evangelicalism, the sort of religious right uh, that remains uh, for, for a long time. And I, I don't think they're really, most of them are really able to get past that at this point, and that was the defining factor. They weren't looking to Donald Trump for it to be a social justice, uh, you know, prophet or purveyor 
um, or, or, or to promise uh, social change and justice. They were looking for Donald Trump to bring change. They were as, he was as angry and as raw as they are, um, and they had their four or five issues, and, and he promised service in those areas, and that was the, that was the core of the whole matter for them. You know, uh, Bob Vanderplatz, I don't want to intrude on your pastoral counseling uh, of Donald Trump, but, um, you know, in in Acts, uh, there's these uh, there's a lesson about what to do when you sell your real estate uh, and Ananias and Sapphira. Um, it didn't turn out well, did it? Didn't turn out well because they, <laughs> they they sold their real estate. They didn't, they only gave part of it to the apostles, and they lied about it. Uh, um, so I, I don't know. It, can can that can economic justice be part of the evangelical message message out in the political sphere? Oh, sure, sure it can. And first of all, I think when you go back to to that situation at the beginning of Acts, the real the real sin there was that they lied. They tried to deceive God, like. I'm giving you everything, but I'm really not. I'm holding some back for myself. That, I think, was, at that point, then, was, was the deadly sin. What, what I would say for evangelicals in this 2016 election, I think it was, it's very simple. You had a Supreme Court vacancy, and that was the one thing that they focused on. All the other stuff was, quite frankly, a gamble with Donald Trump. They didn't know where he would be on a lot of issues. Matter of fact, his record and his rhetoric was definitely checkered or, quite frankly, on the wrong side of a lot of issues. But I think the, the very point there is that it's not about just being pro-life, but what do you do for that child when that child's outside of the womb? How do you come alongside that mom, the dad, the child? I think that's a comprehensive message. and needs to be a comprehensive message for the evangelical church. Right. Amen. Hey, Bob, I'm going to just have to stop there because I'm running into the end of the show. But also, that's a great way to end. I I think that's an important message uh, at the end. Bob Vanderplatt, evangelical leader, speaker, a political activist, uh, currently the president of CEO and the family and CEO of the family leader, uh, Stephen Mansfield. Uh, His book is Choosing Donald Trump, God, Anger, Hope and Why Christian Conservatives Supported Him. Uh, We have to go now. But once again, we are asking you to support this radio station. And if you like shows like the one that you just heard, uh, please uh, do consider answering the call right now when people ask you. Conspiracy-minded protesters of corporate greed. We who have nothing and most likely will till we all end up locked up in jails by conservative Christian. Right wing Republican, straight white American.